0: Hello, you're listening to On Israel in Al Monitor. I'm Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. U.S. President Joe Biden is scheduled to arrive in Israel this week. He'll be the 12th American president to visit Israel. He'll be meeting a prime minister who took office barely two weeks ago and sees Biden's visit as one of the most important levers ahead of the Israeli elections in November. November is also a crucial month for Biden, who hopes the visit will help score points for the Democrats ahead of the midterm elections. Beyond the sensitive political timing, the President's visit comes uh, at a rather dramatic time for for most Middle Eastern actors. True, in our region, almost every date is a dramatic date. But it's uh, impossible to ignore the fact that the tensions are steadily rising and U.S. allies are more worried than ever. The resumptions of uh, negotiations on a nuclear agreement between the superpowers, the Shiite axis perceived by the Sunni states as an existential threat, Iran's defiance and involvement in exploring the Islamic Revolution from North North Africa through Yemen, Lebanon, Israel and Iraq. All of these factors provide a backdrop for the visit, presenting President Biden with troubling questions for which he doesn't always have satisfactory answers to appease US allies. Our guest today is a veteran Israeli diplomat who was born in Australia served in the Israeli embassies in Washington, Beijing, and Hong Kong, was the Israeli ambassador to the UK, spokesman of uh, the foreign ministry, and the prime minister's spokesman for foreign media from 2007 to 2016. Regov is uh, familiar with the international arena, very knowledgeable about the American arena, was involved in two previous presidential visits to Israel, Obama and Trump, and recently assumed the position of chairman of the Abba Ibn Institute for International Diplomacy. He replaces Ambassador Ron Prosor, who will soon take up his post as Israel ambassador to Berlin. Ambassador Mark Regev joins us after a short break.
1: Elizabeth Hagedorn, and I'm the State Department correspondent at Al Monitor. And I'm Joe Snell. I'm Al Monitor's video editor. Let's admit it: this past year has been difficult to stay on top of the news and sift through what's accurate and what's misleading. Let Al Monitor help you.
0: If you care about the Middle East and North Africa, you should consider listening to Al Monitor's audio series on the Middle East with Andrew Parasoliti and Amberin Zaman, and on Israel with Ben Caspi. You can now watch our newest video podcast, Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. You can subscribe to these series on your favorite podcast platforms.
1: And through a host of free daily and weekly newsletters, we offer a range of perspectives with the highest journalistic standards. You can subscribe to these newsletters at almonitor.com.
0: As an award-winning media service headquartered in Washington, D.C., Almonitor has a network of over 160 contributors around the world.
1: So if you haven't done so already, be sure to visit almonitor.com, where you can find all of these newsletters and podcasts, along with first-class reporting and analysis.
0: Now I am privileged to welcome uh, our guest uh, today. Uh, he was an uh, ambassador in in uh, London. He uh, now is uh, joining the Reichman University and he will be, uh, he will replace Ambassador Ron Persor as the chairman of the Abba Eben Institute for International Diplomacy. He worked with many prime ministers, even in Washington. Ambassador Mark Regev, Shalom, thank you for joining us here in uh, I'll monitor in on israel shalomag how are you doing Sh- shalom ben thanks for having me we are uh, uh, pleased uh, to have you and let's dive first we have a, a weird question it's out of context because we are expecting the president of the united states within 3 days here but uh, you know so well the the british politics you've been uh, you've been an ambassador to london and uh, well acquainted with the British politics. And I assume you weren't surprised by Boris Johnson's resignation. Many in the British public uh, welcomed it. But for Israel, it's quite a loss. The man was clearly pro-Israel, almost a Zionist. Do you agree with this uh, definition? And uh, what kind of legacy do you think does he leave behind uh, in 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 this sense? Well, he,
1: Boris Johnson, would agree with what you've just said. Whenever I used to meet him, and and I was ambassador during the period where he was both foreign secretary and after that prime minister, uh, I would meet him and he would always open by telling me what a great friend of Israel he was. And with a smile on his face, he would tell me about the time he spent as a young man on a kibbutz in Israel where he volunteered. It was on kibbutz Kfar Hanasi in the Galilee. And, and he said, he told me, he spent three weeks there washing dishes in the kibbutz's communal dining room. You know, a cynic Ben would say that, uh, that this is probably the only physical work he ever did in his entire life. <laughs> but but he, 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 he was a self-professed friend of Israel. He came back uh, 30 years later as mayor of London. And then he came back as foreign secretary. He never visited, though, uh, Ben as prime minister because of the coronavirus. I think there's, it's quite possible if we hadn't had two years of corona, he might have come. But unfortunately, it was not possible.
0: Yes, it's strange uh, because uh, you, you expect such a guy. By the way, I, I read the biography you wrote about Winston Churchill, and I think it was brilliant. But it's let's. A good book. Yes, let's try to, uh, to, to talk about his legacy, not only in, uh, from the Israeli position. He, I think you know, the, he was more than, the, especially in the last months, more than, than a clown, than a prime minister. They called him Bojo and he made so many mistakes but by, by, by such a talented uh, politician and guy. So it, it was very strange to look at it.
1: I agree, he was a very special politician, a unique politician. Uh, David Cameron, who was his predecessor's predecessor, uh, before Theresa May, he said once famously that the normal laws of politics, the normal rules of the game, don't apply to Boris. And, and there was a truth in that. And I think yes, that was good. part of his appeal. And you'll recall, Ben, that in December of 2019, he won an unprecedented victory for the Conservative Party. He was a real asset. He polled excellently. He was considered a, because he wasn't a standard politician, he had a lot of gravitas, a lot of attraction, uh, but he was good at campaigning. He was loved by the public, but unfortunately, one thing is to campaign, and one thing is to govern effectively. And, and we saw his polling result his, go down and down and down. And uh, what really hurt him was uh, the, the scandals about his behavior lockdown during coronavirus.: Yeah. And uh, then this last scandal with the uh, deputy whip who was accused of uh, of sexual harassment and apparently boris nevertheless still appointed him that was the last straw that broke the camel's back
0: and uh, he had to go okay now let's move uh, back home joe biden lands here on wednesday he'll be the 12th american president to visit israel the first was richard nixon and the last of course donald trump Which of these presidential visits uh, do you think was the most important? Israel and the U.S. are very old allies. Do such visits really promote relations and move issues forward, or do they serve political needs on both sides, especially ahead of election? We have election here, as you know, and also the midterm election in in the United States.
1: You know, it's not mutually exclusive, Ben. It can be both. It can both serve the interests of both countries and at the same time serve the interests of both candidates, both men, both politicians. You're right, obviously uh, Joe Biden has congressional elections uh, in November. Uh, he's like any president, the midterm elections are always expected to be difficult for him. He's, um, he's got a difficult economic situation. He's got the age issue. Uh, the polls are not treating him very well. The Jewish community in United States is an important part of the democratic coalition and it's possible that he he wants to see the visit showing his friendship for Israel it's it's part of energizing his base and getting the Jewish vote out and I think he'll come and he'll hug us and he'll tell everyone how much he likes Israel and that's good for him politically and you know much better than me why this is good for the uh, for the current Israeli prime minister of two weeks now uh, Yair Lapid who also obviously wants to be seen as a world statement and meeting macron last week and now meeting uh, uh, biden this week is for him hoping to to fix the visual where he is seen maybe for the first time as an international statesman
0: yes and uh, they both i think pray that they, they will have no scandals or surprises because last time biden was here He was uh, Barack Obama's vice president, and the visit turned into a catastrophe because of uh, an official announcement that Israel was planning to build thousands of housing units in East Jerusalem. I don't know where you've been. uh, I know exactly.
1: I remember (laughs) that day very well. Why? It was my wife and my, I think it was our 25th wedding anniversary. Oh. And I had taken the evening off, and my wife had booked a restaurant in Tel Aviv. (laughs) And then we just ordered our meal and the phone started ringing. And uh, one of uh, uh, the journalists was saying, is it true, what's going on? And I said, I don't know. And then in the end, the phone kept ringing and ringing. there was a crisis and I had to tell my wife, we can't have this dinner, I have to go back to work. And uh, I, I remember that evening well, I remember the crisis well. It was, it was a, 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 a complex day for US-Israel relations. I'm not expecting anything like that this time. I think both sides uh, have an interest in making this work. Uh, both leaders, both the prime minister and the president. And I think we can expect a good visit.
0: Uh, yes, I hope so. But you, you, you see how many things uh, must or uh, the prime minister of Israel do before he welcomes the, the, the president of the United States. He called Abu Mazen, Mahmoud Abbas, I think it, it was the first telephone call between PM of Israel and, and the, the president of the uh, Palestinian Authority for years. He called King Abdullah, uh, he called MBZ. They're talking about a lot of gestures, not building here, not doing this, not doing that. So everyone is trying to get into this event as clean as possible and to show his goodwill. And uh, it's, it's, I think it's a ceremony that we have every time when, when a president comes here. Don't, don't, uh, do you think I'm, I'm, uh, I'm right? No, I think you're 100%
1: correct. I, I think both the American side and the Israeli side, and for also its own reasons, the Palestinian Authority has an interest in this being successful. We have to worry always about Hamas and Hezbollah and other people who might see this as an opportunity to try to cause problems. Uh, we've had such things in the past, as you will recall, but on the whole, I think uh, uh, we we all have an interest. From America and Israel's point of view, they want both sides want a good visit.
0: To what extent do you think such a visit can jumpstart the anti-Iran air defense alliance that's in the in the works between the countries of the Middle East, led by Israel? And do you see it also accelerating progress in relations between Israel and Saudi Arabia? I think. I think it was the Wall Street Journal that, uh, that printed a few days ago that there was a meeting sponsored by the Americans when the chief of staff, uh, the Israeli chief of staff Faviv Kohavi sat together with the Saudi chief of staff regarding this alliance. Is it a uh, thing that is really happening? Because it, it, it sounds too good to be true.
1: So without going in, into any details, I, I think there's, there's clearly A convergence of interests between the countries of the Gulf and uh, including Saudi Arabia and Israel and uh, Biden in his remarks before leaving has said already that uh, that he wants to foster and strengthen regional uh, ties Uh, this is a good thing it's good for us it's good for the Arabs and it's good for America Uh, 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 Biden said that uh, one of his great Uh, uh, great achievements this is the first time an American president is visiting since none of the American soldiers aren't involved in combat in the in the region and obviously in saying that he's speaking to American voters who don't want to see American soldiers fighting abroad um, unless they really have to and and so the idea that the members of the region the countries of the region can do a better job of defending themselves without American boots on the ground. That is obviously an American interest.
0: But you will also have to convince the the US allies in the region, uh, which Israel is maybe the center of of this uh, group of states, that the Americans are not deserting the Middle East. You know, There is a lot of uh, anger in Riyadh in uh, in uh, cairo in uh, Amman, in jerusalem in the gulf uh, towards washington that uh, that is dealing and negotiating with the iranians and uh, there there was an attempt to leave the, uh, the revolutionary guards uh, from, uh, of iran in the uh, to, to take out uh, to take them out from the terror list he will have to appease a lot of people in this uh, in this visit and also because uh, right now he needs the Saudis.
1: So there is an upside here. It's true he
0: needs the Saudis and, and this is
1: a very interesting part of the relationship because as you know, during the campaign, he had very, very strong words about the crown prince and the, and the Khashoggi business, yes? Mm-hmm. And now obviously realpolitik real demands that America uh, work very closely with Saudi Arabia, especially considering the crisis Uh, the international crisis that the the war in the Ukraine has started Uh, but to take the first part of your question Israel has been the beneficiary in many ways of the Arab countries understanding that maybe America is pivoting out of the region now I don't think America is leaving the region so quickly but the perception that America is, is 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 somehow changing its its stature in the region that America is is uh, Biden says I don't want to see American troops here and uh, in, in combat roles and so forth. So Arab countries who traditionally based their defense on the United States, there's a whole generation of Arab leaders in the Gulf who base their defense on the first Gulf War. You and me are old enough to remember the first Gulf War. Uh, Saddam Hussein invades Kuwait and then uh, George H.W. Bush organizes a massive international effort and forces him out. We both remember this world. Well. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so a lot of, uh, for a lot of leaders across the Gulf, this was the ultimate insurance that if they ever had a serious threat to their security, they could count on their friends in Washington and in London to come and bail them out. This was their ultimate bottom line national security insurance. Last few years, as you said in your question, the Arab world's uh, 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 opinion of this insurance, or their understanding of this insurance, it didn't seem to be as strong as it used to be for all sorts of reasons. And when you have insurance that doesn't look so strong, you look for other people, you look for other friends, you look for other allies. And here, I think if one wants to understand the Israeli-Arab rapprochement, Israel's new relations across the Gulf, I think one has to understand that it's not that they've become anti-American, But they want supplementary insurance israel is not going to leave the region israel is not going to become neo-isolationist and israel is strong no one wants weak allies and for all these reasons countries across the region have have upgraded their relations with israel
0: so you're actually saying uh, ambassador regev that israel is the replacement of the united states of uh, america aren't we exaggerating listen, we are both Israelis. It's only us. We don't have uh, carriers. We, don't, we're not, uh, we are not a superpower. But do you think our, our allies here in the Gulf uh, and, and around us will be satisfied from a, from a regional uh, alliance that maybe will not be only about uh, aerial defense, but also other, uh, other areas? But I think You overstated a bit what I said, I
1: never said we'd be instead of the United States, I said we would supplement the United States, we would augment the United States And, and there's a crucial difference there, America is a superpower, Israel is a regional power, but we are an important regional power. And the Arab states know that when we talk about the threat coming from Iran or the threat coming from groups like ISIS, which have sort of receded of recently, but, but it's still there. They know that they are on the same side of Israel, the same side as Israel. And I, I think this is an important relationship.
0: And we never said yet in this co- interesting conversation that Israel is right now the only uh, power that fights Iran. And uh, it, it, uh, we, we, we are reading it mainly in foreign media, but it happens almost every day, and I think they, every, all, the, all the other uh, people in the region or all the other players are watching, and I think they're impressed. I think that's 100%
1: correct, Ben. I think that the fact that Israel is in many ways today leading the fight against Iran in the region, that earns us the respect of the Arab countries. Now, some of them are much closer to Iran than we are, and they are reticent, but they are very supportive of us. And they're also supportive of us when we stand up publicly and uh, as as Prime Minister Lapid said, and as Prime Minister Bennett said, and before him, Prime Minister Netanyahu, we said we don't like this nuclear deal. In fact, when Israel says these things, we are speaking for the region. We're speaking not just for the Jewish state, we're speaking for the most of the states in the Arab world as well. And this is the real interesting, I think, revolution that in the past, you saw this conflict of interest between Israel and the Arab countries where we were enemies, where we were in conflict with each other. And over the last few years, you have a situation where you can really talk about a strategic realignment where Israel and the Arab states are on the same side on, on, a, on crucial issues. And with the Americans maybe pivoting or maybe lowering their presence, forcing us To work even closer together. That that doesn't mean diplomatic relations with Saudi Arabia tomorrow, but it does mean a process that will continue, maybe only incrementally, step by step, but constantly strengthening Israel's relations with countries in the Gulf.
0: I think if I would tell you that all this will happen not long ago, three or four years ago, you've uh, called some uh, psychiatrists to, to take care of me, and, but we have to credit the Abraham Accords and uh, the, the people that, uh, that brought uh, the, these accords, uh, President Trump and uh, Jared Kushner and Benjamin Netanyahu. But another surprise for me was that uh, the current American administration, after a, a short period, accepted it. You know, I think you know, uh, like myself, that uh, the, the concept of uh, anything but Trump, anything but Obama, every administration uh, is getting into office and it will do it exactly vice versa. It will never support things that the previous president did, especially if it was a, a Republican that was replaced by a Democrat or or uh, or vice versa. And now here, the current administration uh, is so he learned the Abraham Accords and is going uh, forward with all force, uh, trying to advance it. But yes, you're correct, but I think it took them time. It took them time.
1: Maybe also because they came into office uh, January uh, last year and the, the, the feeling was maybe uh, they had a more tense relationship with the Saudis. Uh, you have a friend, uh, a colleague, uh, who wrote a book about Trump and the Abraham mm-hmm. Accords, Barak Ravid. Yeah. And he said that when he speaks in America and he, he gives Trump credit for the Abraham Accords, uh, just as you did now, that sometimes American Jewish audiences go they go crazy, you can't say anything nice about Trump. Yes, he's not he's <laughs> not a loved individual. Uh, um, but he does deserve credit. And I believe I could be wrong, but had he been re-elected, I think there's a good chance we would have had an upgrade of the relationship with Saudi Arabia already. It's only now, what is it? Uh, uh, sometime after President Biden took over that they are starting seriously a Saudi-American dialogue. That's ultimately the reason for his visit to Saudi Arabia.
0: Uh, we say uh, in these uh, occasions better late than, uh, than, than, uh, than no, it, it's late, but it, it's good they are doing it. Uh, I think we are approaching uh, uh, our uh, end, but uh, Biden arrives uh, in the midst of uh, an election campaign in Israel. Lapid hopes to leverage it uh, to emphasize his leadership. You said it in the beginning, uh, and skills and international standings vis-a-vis his rival Benjamin Netanyahu. It's no secret that the American, the current American administration support the Lapid government, but can they avoid the appearance of taking sides? in this very tense domestic political drama?
1: I will recall, and you will remember, that in the beginning of '96, President Clinton came here to help bolster uh, then-Labor Prime Minister Shimon Peres. I mean, he came for other reasons uh, uh, publicly, but we, it was clearly that he came here to support Peres. And uh, I'm not sure about this visit, because when the visit was planned, Lapid wasn't Prime Minister, mm-hmm. it was Bennett. But uh, obviously, you are right. uh, Democratic presidents will often feel more comfortable with center-left Israeli prime ministers and not with those of the right. But they have to be very, very careful about interfering too, obviously, because that can uh, bounce the other way. Yes, that can have a backlash, of
0: course. Yes.
1: I read in the papers, and once again, I'm not privy. I'm no longer in government. But uh, I read in the papers, I believe that he's going to have a meeting with the leader of the opposition. I don't know if that's been finalized.
0: Now, uh, finally, you're getting, uh, you're, I think you're already the, the chairman of the Abba Ibn Institute uh, for uh, International Diplomacy in the Reichman University. We are not old enough. Uh, we did not work, both of us, with Abba Ibn. He was a, a, a minister of foreign affairs in Israel. I think he was born in South Africa. No, no. Uh, uh, yes, yes. In South Africa and, and educated in England. In England, and you, you uh, by the you you, you were uh, was born in you uh, you were born in Australia, Mark, haven't you? Correct. Correct. What do you think uh, if Abe even uh, visited us uh, tomorrow? What would he say about the current diplomacy in the Middle East? The uh, the style, the manners, the situation. You will never, never believe his eyes.
1: I think yes,
0: he is. He 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 believed in reconciliation.
1: Uh, he was always on the Davish side. He was more of a charretist than a Ben Gurionist, and he, he 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 believed in peace. And I think he would have seen today what's going on as the fulfillment of of some of the things he tried to do in the 1970s. Uh, obviously, he was foreign minister only until. Uh, uh, the end of Golda Meir's government he did not have a good relationship with Yitzhak Rabin so he was not in that government and of course he, he passed away already in uh, 2002 uh, but in the 1970s we know that when there were proposals on the table for a more moderate Israeli approach he was always the one supporting them yeah whether he had the power to push those proposals through inside the Israeli system is of course a totally different question.
0: Do you have any interesting plans in the institute?
1: You know, Israel has many institutes. Uh, there's one at Tel Aviv University, and there's one in, some in Jerusalem. And so I have to say, what, what's special about Abba Eben? And so what we're going to try to do, obviously we'll deal with everything, but uh, we think Israelis are very good on hard power. Uh, I was previously at a different institute where, where we had people from The Mossad and from the IDF and from the Shin Bet, uh, uh, I want to take up Eben and if other places are specializing in hard power, I want to see if we can find an institute in Israel that will specialize in soft power, not only but to specialize in soft power, in diplomacy, in the economics of of international relations, uh, in the public diplomacy side where I have a certain amount of experience, This is my idea to make the Abba Eben Institute the soft power specialists in Israel. That's my goal.
0: And uh, I wish you a lot of success, Ambassador Mark Gregory. It was a pleasure and very interesting. Thank you for joining us here. And now we'll take a short break and we'll be back here with some final thoughts later. Thank you. Toda.
1: Hello, I'm uh, Gilles Kepel, professor at Sciences Po and Normal Soup in Paris, and author of a number of uh, books and articles on the Middle East. Through my new podcast, Reading the Middle East, on the award-winning media service El monitor, we will take a deep dive into the trends in the region with the authors and thought leaders who are shaping how we think about the Middle East. Reading the Middle East will be a fantastic addition to El Monitor's outstanding podcast lineup, including Including on the Middle East with Andrew Paraziliti and Amberin Zaman, and on Israel with Ben Kaspit. You can subscribe on your favorite listening platforms. We look forward to your joining our conversation.
0: Thank you for uh, staying with us. I think the most interesting uh, part of the conversation was uh, when Ambassador Re- Regan and myself were talking about the upcoming visit of President Biden here, and uh, what is is going to hear from the uh, the America, the allies of the United States of uh, of America here, especially in the Gulf, and uh, maybe Egypt and Jordan, and of course Saudi Arabia that are all so troubled from uh, what is seen as, uh, as the, the United States just deserting the area and deserting the, uh, its allies. And Ambassador Regev said that, uh, yes, the president uh, does not want anymore to see American troops here or to pay uh, for, the, for uh, the, the security in the Middle East in American lives. But what is happening is that the leaders across the Gulf and the Middle East are starting to, to, to realize that they cannot count anymore on Washington to bail them out uh, of all the adventures and, and, the, and the, everything that happens here, like the first Gulf War, etc. They have to learn to take care of themselves, or as he said it, the the insurance, the American insurance policy is not so strong anymore and you have to take care of yourself and to, to try and get yourself a supplementary insurance. And this supplement is Israel. And no, Israel is not a, a another United States. Israel is is a regional superpower, and the United States, of course, is a, is a world, a global superpower. But Israel can step in many of the places or roles that uh, the Americans used to do, and it, it can do it successfully. And actually, what we're seeing in our very eyes these years here in the region is exactly this. Israel is the center of an alliance uh, that with the support from the outside of the America can get the, the, the allies here in the Middle East all the answers they need. And an example of this is uh, what the ambassador uh, agreed when I uh, phrase it as uh, Israel is the only state that is fighting, actually fighting the Iranians, the revolutionary guards and the Shiite militias, everywhere in the Middle East, almost on a daily basis, and all the others are looking, and uh, the impression is uh, huge, and it works. Let's hope it, uh, it will not work too much, and uh, no one will get himself in a, or find himself in a war, but I think it was an interesting conversation, and we all hope that the visit of President Biden here on Wednesday and Thursday, uh, will be successful and I hope to see you even uh, in a, a webinar that Monitor will uh, hold I guess on Friday to summarize the visit so uh, until then thank you for this listening take care and uh, bye bye